Hello, listeners. Beyond the Mask, in conjunction with NBC RNA, is pleased to announce that listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how to submit them, go to our website. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, all right, Sharon, back together again in the studio. Oh, and I'm so happy to be here. I know, I'm loving this studio thing again. You know, it's great Zoom, but there's just something about being in the studio doing this. There is. Plus, whenever we write notes to each other. Yeah, or you give me that number one finger that you do a lot of the time. Oh, you know, yeah, so, well. Yeah. You do know sign language. I do. I mean, I, you know, I, I tell my wife, I say, Sharon thinks I'm number one all the time. I'm not sure, you know, why, but uh, I have a feeling Pierce might think he's number one, too. Oh, so. Yeah. They could. <laughs> oh, well, it's good to be back, and we do have two familiar faces in the studio with us. Yes. Uh, well, I was wondering if you are going to say anything. <laughs> We do, and it's nice to have them back in the studio with us. And we've got new stuff in the studio. We do. The new curtains, and eventually we'll be doing other things. We'll be doing, uh, you know, maybe some live video and uh, taking things to a different level. So we had to, at least the folks told me, we had to black out all the light in here, and you had to get blackout curtains, and you got to get lighting, and so... You Why know, do we'll, you have a light? I don't have a light. You do. Yours is just over in the corner. I just haven't set <laughs> yours up yet. So, um, But yeah, we're excited about that. And hopefully soon we'll be able to, to get this stuff up on Facebook Live and actually doing some video. Maybe maybe even having our own YouTube channel, Sharon. Well, there you go. All I right. guess I'm going to have to dress up a little bit more to come in here, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Those slippers that you wear, you know, we gotta <laughs> we got to stop that. So. <laughs> well... Nancy and Sandy, welcome. And it's good to be back with you guys. Absolutely. It's good to have you back. Yep. And you made the trip all the way up for us today, didn't you, Nancy? Yes, I did. Yeah. So what is it, about an hour and a half to come up here or something like that? From Mm, Depends on who's driving. Yeah. Yeah. It can be two hours. Wow. So... Well, we appreciate you being back in the studio with us today because we've got some important business to talk about. Oh, this is more in our historical series. Yeah, and you know we're looking forward to it now. The topic today we're going to be talking about Ira Gunn, and you know I'm not a anesthesia person per mm-hmm. se, but I have heard of Ira Gunn for so long. I figure Ira Gunn must be pretty important. Did you ever? See her, Jeremy. I mean, no, she, uh, you, that would have been before your time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think I was around. I probably wasn't as active right. at that point in time. So, 
But Sandy and Nancy today are going to tell us about the story and life of Ira Gunn, and we're excited to hear more about it and this historical series and what it meant to nurse anesthesia or nurse anesthesiologist now, I think might be another title that we're going by. So we're looking forward to hearing about that today. So, you know, it's been said from what I understand, Ira Gunn was a driving force for shaping the nurse anesthesia profession and nursing in general, I guess, during the second half of the 20th century. And today, you know, we're going to try to honor her and her legacy through our podcast, Beyond the Mask. So um, excited about that. So Nancy, you want to kind of kick us off and maybe tell us a little bit about the young, if we can say that these days. I don't know whether that's politically correct. Maybe the less experienced (laughs) Ira Gunn. And when did she become interested in a career as a nurse anesthetist and so forth? Well, Ira's name was Ira Pearl. A lot of people don't know that. And actually, the Ira came from her father and the Pearl from her mother. So that's where her name oh, came okay. from. But Ira was born in Texas. And, of course, all of us remember Ira Gunn from mm-hmm. Texas. She you was the daughter. the microphone all mm-hmm. the time. Oh. <laughs> she was the daughter of two school teachers. And they instilled a value for education in Ira. Not so much for its ability to open doors as for the potential it had to allow her to lead a full, rich life, serving her fellow human beings. I think this is interesting because at age 16, and of course back then there were not 12 grades in school, at age 16 she enrolled at Hardin-Simmons University of Abilene, Texas, with the goal of going into medicine. Hmm. And she graduated at 18 years of age. Wow. She received a baccalaureate in chemistry and a minor in biology and English. That set her on the path of clinical knowledge and skilled writing. And Ira was an excellent writer. In 1946, she found that there were only a handful of positions available in medicine for women. And this was largely due to the number of men who were coming back from World War II who were interested in pursuing a career in medicine. So Ira took a job as a laboratory technician for Shell Oil Company, and in 1948 through 1951, continuously, she worked toward a nursing diploma at Lily Jolly School of Nursing and a Master's of Letters in Nursing, University of Texas, Houston. A Master's of Letters (laughs) in Nursing. Yeah, that was just um, a term that they used back then. Because it was in the early 1950s, okay. so the universities, you know, oh. would determine what they called it and everything. Okay. But I think it's interesting that she worked on her master's of letters at the same time she was going to nursing school. That's hmm. pretty interesting. Wow. So, so I guess one of the, the themes here is Ira was pretty smart. Ira very was very smart. smart. Yes. Very and smart. very analytical and methodical, it mm-hmm. sounds yes. like. Yes. And, and it, it's kind of interesting. I mean, you know, her background a little bit here as a laboratory technician for Shell Oil, it, it, it reminds me of another smart person that we all know and that you've all worked with, and that was Betty Petrie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Because Betty had that background, you know, and her mind thinks like that mm-hmm. still to this right. day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of similarities, really, yeah, between the two. Yeah, I mean, two. I, that's yeah. kind of what I'm drawing here. Yeah. So shout out to Betty. 
she listens to our podcast. So, you know, she doesn't want to be on it. So maybe one day you uh, guys can convince her to be on it. Yeah, we'll keep uh, working on we'll that. We'll keep working on her. Yeah. So, But anyway, I digress. Okay. Well, early in her life, she did develop a life mission and vision through which her mission was fulfilled. And Ira said herself, if I can quote her, when I was young, I was accused by most of my friends of wanting to change the world. I truly believed in the good book's admonition, to whom which is given, much is required. And while I had not been given much in material goods, I believed that my intellect and energy could be devoted to making the world a better place for those in need. Not just be giving people what they needed, but for most, helping to create opportunity for them to help themselves and helping them make the most of that opportunity. And I have to say, Ira did that. Um, She uh, mentored a lot of people. I was lucky enough to be one of those people. And, you know, she, she could always create a way for you to succeed in what you wanted to do. But mm-hmm. you had to do the work. She didn't do it for you. Right. And, you know, if you look, Ira lived between 1927 and uh, 2011, and she did have a very fulfilled, long life. But when I hear her talk about over and over again opportunity, it brings us just to some of the issues we're batting back and forth today. And that is we talk about equality, equal equality. And, you know, if you could quote Ira, she believed in equal opportunity and that we probably would not reach equal equality, but that everyone would have equal opportunity. And and Well, it's interesting that she talked about that because – here she was a female and she couldn't go to medical school that's right so there wasn't an equal opportunity for her at that time (laughs) yeah but she was going to change the world well you know this this young little hour gun she probably saw that as a challenge (laughs) right yeah yeah Yeah, i can imagine that so she went into the military why don't you tell us a little bit about her military career sandy okay well, when she finished uh, her nursing program and her other work she did in terms of a Master's of Letters, the Korean War was in full swing at that time. And so, of course, Ira not being the very shy person, she immediately enlisted in the Army. And um, in 1952, she was assigned as a staff nurse and recovery nurse in the surgical ward of an Army base camp Shafi in Arkansas. I guess that I'm pronouncing that right. But in late 1952, she was shipped out to Korea to serve as a staff nurse and educational coordinator in two evacuation hospitals in two different parts of Korea. One was the 25th and one was the 11th evacuation hospital. And there was something, and I don't know what it was, that really caught her attention in terms of the role of nurse anesthetists when she was in Korea. Because it was at that time that she decided she wanted to become a nurse anesthetist. Well, thinking back, the same thing happened to my my husband, Richard Willett. It was when he was um, in the Air Force and ended up in Orlando that he was really introduced to the role of the nurse anesthetist for the first time. And so this probably happened to Ira Mm -hmm. as well. And she probably, like him, couldn't wait to get back 
and become an arsonistess. So after 18 months, she was transferred to Brook Army Hospital at Fort Sam Houston, Texas, and began the Army Nurse Corps Anesthesia Course in 1955. She earned a certification and stayed on staff, and then she went to Munich, Germany for two years, and then back to Sam Houston for three years. In 1963, she was beginning to get some people's attention in higher office in the Army. So the Office of the Army Surgeon General selected her to attend nine months of military nursing at Walter Reed Army Institute for Research in Washington, D.C. It was there she gained a lot of experience in research, in writing, and in defending her writings. And uh, she called it the most broadening course she ever took that opportunity again that she had to do that. So during Vietnam, Ira was still in the Army, and she was sent to Tripler Army Medical Center in Honolulu. In 1965, she established a nurse anesthesia program there, and even though we weren't talking about it much, we really didn't talk about moving all of our programs into master's level until 1994, and it happened in 1998. She developed a cooperative agreement between Tripler and the University of Hawaii School of Nursing, and it was the first graduate-level nurse anesthesia program in the country at that time. And so in 1968, the Army bestowed on our the Army Commendation Medal for establishing the educational program at Tripler. And then she was back to Washington, D.C., where she was brought back to be a consultant to the Army Surgeon General for Nurse Anestis. She stayed there from 1968 to 1973. And it was during that tenure that she developed a two-phase program for the Army Nurse Corps Nurse Anesthesia Program at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. And she served as director of that program from 1968 to 1970. She was selected for promotion to a full colonel in 1971, but retired as a uh, lieutenant colonel in 1973. At her retirement, she was awarded the Legion of Merit for her instrumental role in expanding training and use of Army nurses in anesthesia. So Ira was a nurse anesthetist and a nurse anesthesia educator when there was a great need for nurse anesthetists in the military through it was a little, little after Korea, but certainly through Vietnam. And she again stepped up to the plate, and she learned a lot. Yeah. And these experiences helped us not only in terms of our anesthesia profession, but nursing in general grow through the next two decades. And we really have a lot to thank her for in terms of where we ended up. I've heard you both say this before, that the nurse anesthesia professionals today – are standing on the shoulders of giants. And Ira was one of those giants in the industry. And she left so much behind for everybody else. Why don't we talk a little bit about some of the the gifts and things she left back, not only for nursing, but especially the anesthesia specialty. Well, can I interject one thing? Sure, absolutely. Sandy and I actually knew an anesthesiologist who served under Ira. Oh, really? Do you remember that? I don't. I don't. I have to say. It was Dr. Wiggs. 
Huh? Oh, yes, oh, it was. Oh, really? Dr. Weeks? Oh, yes, I had forgotten that. He was an oh, anesthesiologist that Weeks. we worked with at, um, at Wake Forest. Oh, um, my God. The uh, Department of Anesthesia for years and years and years, and unfortunately, he just passed no, away. No, he did he not. Did, he did, and, uh, <gasps> and we're very, very sad about that, but oh, I had forgotten that. So can you imagine Dr. Weeks? He was, fr- he was afraid of her. I bet he was. He needed to be. <laughs> oh, but he was, he was amazing. You know, my class voted that he what was it the the clinical anesthesiologist oh my god and i thought the man was going to cry when he accepted Mm -hmm. the award because he he always said that to be recognized by your peers is the best thing ever and he was like an airway guru and he Hmm. used to wear a tool belt like a, like a real contract. tool belt? Yeah. Really? With all these. Like linemen. Electro yeah. linemen. <laughs> like with all these blades in it and everything. Oh, and okay. I tell you, one of the most difficult intubations I ever had, I was a senior student and you're working by yourself with an anesthesiologist and I was working with Dr. Weeks and I swear to God, I had a girl who looked just like me, Look, had a long neck and a big mouth. <laughs> Sounds and, just like you. Yeah. yeah. And you think you're <laughs> she's going to be the easiest intubation in the world. Could not intubate her. And he finally got her intubated with one of his specialty blades that he had. But he was just an incredible man. Oh, what an awful thing to hear that he just passed. Yes. Mm, well, good man. Okay, well, we'll get back to the many gifts that <laughs> Ira left us. But Ira was a U.S. Army nurse in the u.s army nurse corps and she while she was there she became an accomplished researcher educator historian she became very accomplished in legislation and regulatory strategy she was an advanced practice legal expert orator and writer she received legendary status in all of those roles every one of them she mentored Many in nurse anesthesia leadership positions, I'm being one, Sandy being another, and fortified the foundation upon which the profession was founded over 150 years ago. As an educator, our established educational programs, Sandy's already mentioned two of them, one at Tripler and the other at Walter Reed, but she also, after she retired from the Army, established a civilian program at SUNY Buffalo. Mm And, of course, Sandy's going to talk about her involvement with AANA. Yeah, she certainly for several decades was a, uh, a driving force for the ANA when there was an issue. Ira was always there. And one of the things was that Ira, along with um, some Army buddies, both retired then, Mary Cavanero and Ruth Satterfield, was the one that really developed the blueprint for the ANA council structures that assured autonomy of certification and accreditation in the 1970s. And that is such an important thing because in 1974, the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare announced, unbeknown to anybody in ANA, major changes in accreditation. And we were sort of caught not knowing that this was going to happen. And so Ira was hired as the project director to sort of figure this out. And it required major changes in the organizational structure of the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists because at that time, all of these functions were a part of the AINA. 
just like continuing education, there wasn't too much then, but accreditation certification came under the AINA. And uh, also, it was this time that autonomy in accreditation and certification bodies was demanded by the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. At the same time that was happening, our good old buddies, the American Society of Anesthesiologists, filed a challenge. They saw the door opening, and they knew these new changes were coming to be, and so they filed a challenge about the AINA being its own accrediting body. And so it was said that they had no right to accredit. And so under the leadership of IRA, that particular complaint was defeated, and we got a one-year extension to sort of figure this out. And um, it was figured out. So in 1975, we had to go back to the members, and it was the members then that changed their bylaws and approved the three councils, one of accreditation, certification, and the Council on um, Practice, which later became the Council on Public Interest. And then later, of course, and we'll talk about that another time, uh, the Council on Recertification was formed in 1978. So at this very critical time in our, our challenges, IRA is known as the architect of the Council structure. And without her and Celeste Harrigan, who was uh, who presented many of our arguments before the Department of uh, Health, Education, and Welfare, we probably wouldn't have survived at that particular point. So that was something that she should always be remembered for. In addition, she vitally involved with the federal government affairs with legislation of pass-through payment for CRNAs and later reimbursement. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we were on the board and we had that seven-year journey toward direct reimbursement, Ira was there the whole time Is a huge consultant, and uh, not much happened without it being passed by Ira or without her input in it. And she also was co-author of the ANA Amicus Curiae brief to the Supreme Court in the case of the Jefferson Parish Hospital versus Hyde. Now, that was submitted by our new legal counsel, Jane Blumenreich, at the time, but you can read that, and I have a copy of it with me here today, and it's got our written all over it. Mm-hmm. And we had a neutral position in that. We weren't advocating for the hospital or for the anesthesiologist, but because the lower courts had made so many incorrect statements in presenting the role of nurse anesthetists. This was presented to clarify what the role of the nurse anesthetist was. And then your guest that you had, Taff and Laurie mm-hmm. Oltz, yep. on, the, uh, on the only antitrust case ever successfully litigated in the United States, they couldn't say enough kind things about Ira Gunn because she was the one that came and testified at their uh, trials and she said when Ira spoke, everybody listened. She yep. said it was just like they wanted to get up and salute the colonel, actually. <laughs> and, um, and then, of course, the Bond case. She also testified with that as well. So she did a lot for nursing, nurse anesthesia, but also nursing. And I had forgotten until I was looking through the book about her writings and so on. The American Nurses Association appointed Ira in 1974 to serve on a committee to study 
on the study of credentialing that was chaired by the famous Greta Stiles, who was a mover and a shaker both in the ANA as well as the International Council of Nurses. Ira was the only member to serve on the follow-up task force of that original committee that was named. And so um, she must have done a real good job. So she was back. And so she had a lot to do with the credentialing through the American Nurses Association Mm -hmm. as well. Well, it sounds like everybody knew Ira. So I'm sure that this garnered her many accolades and awards. Nancy, can you elaborate on some of the awards that she received during her lifetime? Yes. But again, can I just digress a little bit? We'll let you, just because you're Nancy Marie. (laughs) Sandy was talking about Ira's work with the councils, and there was another time when Ira actually came and saved my neck. Another time? uh Uh-huh. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Another time. There are many times she Uh did. But when I was elected to the council on accreditation, it was just a very short time after that that the executive director of the Council on Accred and CERT, because they were there together, mm-hmm. and the chair of the Council on Accred resigned. Okay. And I was elected chair, having only been on there less than a year. And I, I was running, Sandy can attest to this, I was running the Council on Accred out of the back of my car. And so I called Ira. And they were dark days, weren't they? They were dark days. <laughs> were There's dark. a lot of stuff, backstory on that one. A uh, lot, of, lot of dirt. Well, that's what we want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> but I called Ira, and I said, Ira, and I had talked with John about this before, obviously, making my phone call. And I said, you know, could you, would you consider being acting director of the council on credit until i can find someone to take the job and so she said yes she would do it and she would come to chicago for two weeks and then she'd go back to texas for two weeks and you know we could make it happen and she did but i'll tell you this because i i had to reprimand ira which scared me to death to say the least (laughs) but the first council meeting the very first day i could tell things were not going well because she was talking too much too much yes (laughs) and um so anyway the next morning i got up very early and i went into the office before the rest of the council members and i sat down with ira and i said ira we have to talk and I swear this is the honest truth. Big tears came in her eyes. Oh, my And she gosh. said, I talked too much, didn't I? And I said, <laughs> I said, yes, Ira, you did. I said, that's not what the council's used to. They're, they're not used to the ED saying as, you know, kind of running the show. And I said, I need you so bad. I said, can you please just not talk so much today? <laughs> so... Everything went fine after that, but I mean, that was one of the, I mean, I was shaking into my boots that I was going to have to go and tell Ira she had to be quiet. Now, and you are kind of vertically challenged. How tall are you, Nancy? 5'2". How tall was Ira? She wasn't much taller than that. She no, was I was thinking she was about the same height. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I would say. But um, she did a good job with that and we had some hard issues 
that we were dealing with at that time. And, and Ira just came through, you know, she well, just she had always been found two, a way. Through two wars. I yeah. mean, surely she wasn't afraid of you or, <laughs> or anybody else. <laughs> but she, she just always would step up to the plate when you needed her. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like Sandy has told the up-and-comers now, never say no. And obviously, Ira never said no. But her awards, Ira was the first CRNA inducted as a fellow in the American Academy of Nursing, or the FAAN, and that happened in 1981. She is the second CRNA in the country to date to become a living legend in the American Academy of Nursing, which is its highest honor. She was inducted in 2003. The first CRNA to receive this honor was Geraldine Felton. I don't even recognize that name. Yeah. Uh, Geraldine was a, a CRNA, but her, most of her career was in, in nursing. Okay. So that's what most people know her okay. about. So we don't know her really as a CRNA. Was she the dean in Iowa? Yeah, I, th- I think she has been, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I met her. Uh, she received the AANA Agatha Hodgins Award, which was the AANA's highest recognition, in 1983. And then later, the AANA created the Ira P. Gunn Award for Outstanding Professional Advocacy. And she was the first recipient of that award in 2001. She also received the Order of Military Medical Merit in 2001. So she was awarded some very big recognitions Mm -hmm. for things that she did. Sandy, I would imagine that Ira had a lot of friends in the industry and that she did a lot for folks around the industry. You know, how was she viewed by her professional friends? Well, in the book of her writings and publications and emails and everything else that was compiled by Jay Horowitz, Rita Rupp, and Dr. Mara McAuliffe following her death, a number of these people really quoted exactly what she meant to them and we've picked out a few that I think the listeners might be interested in and one was Dr. Betty Horton. Dr. Betty Horton was uh, the director of our Council on Accreditation for many many years and did a fabulous job but Betty said I first met Ira at Assembly School faculty meeting when we sometimes talked during coffee about current happenings within the ANA and we should always remember it's those talks during coffee where you really learn the most. I recall that she had very dark hair, always wore a U.S. Army uniform, and that we all listened to her whenever she rose from the audience to speak on important issues. She would always get to the microphone and say, I'm Ira P. Gunn from Texas. (laughs) And there was a silence that fell over the room because you didn't want to miss anything. So Betty said it was obvious that no one knew the status of health care in the United States and had affected nurse anesthetists better than Ira Gunn. She also encouraged us to stress to our students how important it was to improve anesthesia care by using their influence at the local, state, and federal level. And so Betty, uh, that was her recollection of our, and I think it was pretty much on track. How about you, Nancy? Well, this is what Jean Bloomingwright, who was the attorney for the AANA for quite a few years, thought of our. He said, I was fortunate enough to have the greatest student of nurse anesthesia in the second half of the 20th century as my tutor. She wrote with the same voice she spoke, direct and from the heart. Gene will tell you, he would have never survived or worked into his role that he held for 26 years as legal counsel without her. 
And then Mike Felicaro. Mike was at Sunny Buffalo when Ira was uh, starting that program. He served as director of that school along with uh, Tom Opes. And then later, Mike is probably best known for directorship of uh, the program at Medical College of Virginia. He said, Ira taught me to do not have to be an ANA president to serve. It is not the medals on your chest or titles after your name that matter. Instead, it's the texture of your speech, sincerity of your conviction, and actions that matter. This is how you will be judged. And interesting enough, Ira, in the latter part of her career, did run for office in the ANA, and she was elected as a regional director, Region 7. So she served in that capacity for two years, but she was defeated when she ran for president-elect and did not remain on the board. So I thought it was very interesting. You don't have to be an ANA president to serve. I was on the board with me, and... Just as an aside, Mike Falacaro and Tom Oates were known as Iris Boys. Oh. <laughs> so this is from Richard Ouellette, Sandy's husband. Iris combined meticulous scholarship with a keen understanding of nurse anesthesia education, credentialing, and practice. She possessed a rare vitality in untangling the strands of historical, judicial, social, and medical forces that helped determine the course of nurse anesthesia education and practice. And then I was asked to write a quote in her book. And for me, the thing I remember the most is in her failing health, I had the opportunity to develop what we call the book. And I contacted everyone that I could think of that had ever known Ira and asked them to send pictures, to send letters, and what Ira had meant to them. And we got a big book put together, I can tell you. And so I joined past president Peggy McFadden and Rita Rupp for a weekend in El Paso. Ira was uh, failing at that particular time. And we sat with her and read all those letters from friends and former students and ANA staff, past presidents, military colleagues, professors and attorneys. And it was very clear in those letters that this woman was the driving force for the advancement of the nurse anesthesia profession in the latter half of the 20th century. And we've said all the things that that made her such, but she helped in monumental ways to advance the profession and prepares today's generation of nurse anesthetists to step into the 21st century with confidence and commitment. Okay, this is from Dr. Scott Foster, and he says, Ira was clearly one of our profession's earliest published authors who took to heart the responsibility that CRNAs need to be in print and conduct research that demonstrates our value to health care. She was a policymaker, thinker, and strategist. If our spirit brought us a collective message, it is, bring your dedication and loyalty to a worthy cause. Fight hard. Never retreat. Think broadly. And think not of yourself, but of tomorrow's CRNAs. And then finally, Major General Gail Pollock, a CRNA, Army as well. I think the best tribute we can give our is always strive to do our best, not accept or tolerate mediocrity in anything, and remember that our lives are most complete when we focus on others and not ourselves. And I think that's very clear. And, you know, when Agatha Hodgins was asked by Richard Crowell many, many years ago to be his personal anesthetist. 
She had no idea she was going to do that, but she said, I will do this as long as you remember. In everything I do, I always give my best. And Ira was the same and certainly well known for that. Well, it sounds like there's certain threads that have gone through our profession, and Ira was a part of that. So what beliefs did she instill in us as a community and within the AANA that still has relevance today? And as we all know, we do this historical series because history repeats itself, so you need to know your history. And as you say, Sandy, even though... The rear view mirror is smaller than the windshield. You still need to pay attention That's true. to the yeah. rear view mirror. So tell us some things that Ira has left with us. Why don't you start off, Nancy? Okay. Ira taught and men- mentored hundreds who became influential leaders, educators, and continued to pass down her values and beliefs to the next generation. She also believes CRNAs are the answer and not the problem in terms of quality access and cost of anesthesia services. If you look at her writings through the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, into the 21st century, we're still talking about the same Same thing thing. today. That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) That that, that we were talking about then, quality access and cost of anesthesia services. So not a lot has changed, and there's so much to be learned from her thoughts at the time as we move our agenda forward. And so I think for anyone that wants to be a a state or national leader, then that book by Ira would be a must on my reading list if uh, I were coming up today. Ira advocated for basic health care as a human right and argued that as a provision for all would require building a cost-effective health care system that would efficiently use human resources with appropriate manpower mixes. Such a system would require services of CRNAs and other APRNs functioning at the highest level of their education, no preparation. All APRNs would need appropriate autonomy to perform efficiently and comprehensively and accept responsibility for service they were prepared to render. Appropriate autonomy would require elimination of unnecessary tiers and costly requirements of physician supervision. What do you think she'd think today, ladies? I mean, we're we are really on the precipice of a lot of the things that she worked for for her entire career. What would you think she would say? I mean, Trump well, getting rid of supervision in CMS. Yeah, and, I think that she really believed that to be a true profession, you had to have autonomy. Mm-hmm. And she writes about that quite a bit. I think she would be disappointed as a nation that we're still arguing right. about health care for all mm-hmm. and how it's going to be achieved. It could be achieved, but not with the top-down structure that we have now and the cost associated with it. Mm-hmm. I think you would have to implement many of ours ideas, mm-hmm. and you would still have good care. It wouldn't be second-class care, but it would probably be cheaper, mm-hmm. you know, because let these advanced practice nurses and let the CRNAs work to their education, knowledge, and skills uh, without having a costly supervisor when it's not needed. Autonomy of the professions. And I I think that she would be lobbying very hard for that today, Mm -hmm. just like she did then. She was actually one of the first people 
who really started pushing removal of supervision for Part A Medicare. Mm -hmm. And when I was on the board with her the two years she was on the board, that was what she was focusing on Mm -hmm. at that point in time was getting rid of supervision and Part A Medicare. So she definitely believed that autonomy was necessary. Well, you know, Ira passed away in 2011, but I think that many of her beliefs were really operational in the 2010 Institute of Medicine report on the future of nursing. And this report advocated healthcare model with a central viable role for APNs as full partners with physicians and patients to deliver health care. And so I think if I were here today, we'd probably be moving right towards all that. (laughs) She also believed that anesthesia practice has overlapping areas areas of responsibility with physicians, but when practiced by nurses, Frank versus Scythe, anesthesia is and always has been the practice of nursing. She was also one of the first to argue that physician-controlled health care restricted access and believed in reform. Well, as we, as we kind of wrap up here, any closing thoughts that you'd like to get across to the listeners today? One that, that I came across, and I really don't know where it was from, but it said, in the story of your life, there is never a final chapter. And when you lend your light to one person, and he or she shines it on another, and another, and another, the legacy continues. And so when we talk reverently about our gun, we talk about this legacy. Nobody can question the fact that it was not left and we're still benefiting all these years later. Sometimes, you know, I think about my presidency in 1989, and I look at things just, you know, in the A&A, for example, and sometimes I'm not happy with what I see and decisions made, but I have to remind myself I had our gun and I had John Guard and after 2011 or before then our gun was no longer able to assist and consult as she was and of course we lost John Guard in 2009 what we really need is some visionary leaders to step forth and be committed like Ira like John to assist these developing leaders. And I say developing leaders, even on the ANA board, you are a developing leader. Mm-hmm. And you really need a lot of help because it is a huge agenda that you're undertaking. And we've not had that. And so somehow as a profession, we have got to find a way to identify these people and be accepting of what they will try to help us with so we can move forward. And that is my closing thoughts on where we've been and where we are today, I think. Nancy, you got anything to add there? Well, you know, I have lots and lots and lots of memories of Ira. The, I remember pers- from a personal standpoint, you did not have to always agree with Ira. It was fine if you disagreed. She didn't get upset with you about it. She was firm in her beliefs, but she also appreciated the fact that other people had other ideas and other opinions, and she listened to those. And I know my tenure on the board, and particularly my presidential year, when we were getting ripped up to go after supervision, I spent many hours on the telephone talking to Ira. 
you know, I've always wanted to know, how did we get here? Give me the history of it. Because if I can know that, then I can understand things better. And Ira was my go-to person. And I don't ever remember her telling me she didn't have time to talk to me. And I think Ira was that way with pretty much everyone who sought her opinion because it was critical for her to know that she had done her best to put us on the path that she thought was the right one for us. And she was always kind. I don't remember her ever getting angry, at least when I was around. She always seemed to be very calm and I mean, she was everything that you could ever want in a mentor. I mean, she just was. It was her it was her talent. It wasn't something that she I think it was just a part of her that she was able to develop to the utmost and she gave it so freely. She never asked to be given credit for stuff. She just gave it to you. Here it is. You run with it. And you make a, a very important point, Nancy, that she did certainly, you know, encourage debate. And you could disagree, and she was never disagreeable. We've lost that as a country. Mm. Yeah. You look at this country and look where that's got us. Just turn on yeah. your news tonight. Mm-hmm. We have got to get back where we can have debates again and still respect each other. Sandy, I think you hit the nail on the head. You said turn on the news. I think the idea is to turn off the news. (laughs) That's right, that's right. And maybe we can all get back together. My husband Dick would love for me to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I I just about can't watch it anymore. Yeah, yeah. But, um, well, this is this is all good stuff, and I think our listeners need to hear this about the history of nurse anesthesia and Aragon and all the other great leaders who they're mm-hmm. standing on the shoulders of, Sharon. Exactly. Yeah. So Exactly. I ate lunch with Ira once. That, <laughs> that's your it, claim to fame, right? Well, I mean, you know, I was a neophyte, and it just so happened to be I, were, I was at a meeting, and she'd come and sit down at the table I was at and I just about fainted that's right that's right yeah <laughs> because um, I had always seen her up at the microphone right and you know that was the days when you I sat on the back row and <laughs> she was uh that lady in the back room that never became president but she, but never right. never lose sight of the fact she was directing everything yes yeah yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What what is it you call it? an informal leader? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a leader from behind. Yep. Yep. So, well, Nancy, Sandy, thank you as always. Always good stuff, and it's great to be able to document this. So this is a a living, breathing piece of work about the history of mm-hmm. nurse anesthesia from actually two legends in the nurse anesthesia world, like you two. So. Sharon, I think that's a wrap. I believe so. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our other episodes wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a message, but only if it's positive. There's enough negativity in the world. Amen. Until next time. It's a wrap.
Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.